Good morning, all. Appreciate your being here. Appreciate the opportunity to open the Word of God with you. Trust that uh, God will have something to encourage and shape you with today. I, uh, I'm going to do something that I don't like done, and that is I want to read to you. Um, I couldn't think of any other way to communicate what, uh, what message needed to come out this morning without going ahead and doing this. And I know when you don't have the script in front of you, it's hard to, to pick out the ideas that are coming out when someone else is reading. So let's ask God to help us with that, all right? And, uh, and then ask Him also to open His Word for us and to give us uh, a blessing, all right? Let's pray. Father, we come to You because uh, we are very needy people. We don't recognize it in many ways. We don't even have a grasp really on just how needy we are. And yet there's, there's things in our life that we know aren't quite the way we want them to be or quite the way they should be. And uh, so we come to you and ask that you would be uh, a supplier to us of that which we need. That you would open our hearts and our minds and our understanding to your greatness that we would be willing to submit to your dealing in our lives and find uh, even the joy of the Lord. We would pray, God, that you would help us as we uh, discuss today this very deep and difficult subject and pray that, uh, that even as I read these, these words from these pages that there would be clarity and understanding and that you would move us. We need this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be uh, tired of dealing with 1,000 gifts, but um, very valuable lessons here. We don't uh, believe that a book written by a human being should at all replace a book written by the living God, and so we're not going to do that. In fact, what we want to do is to take some ideas that have stirred our minds and our hearts from this book, A Thousand Gifts, Go to the Word of God and see if what the Word of God has to say uh, matches what the author is trying to communicate to us. If it doesn't, then of course we have to take what the Word of God has to say and reject what the author, the human author, is saying. On the other hand, if there is some support, more than support, legitimacy and truth in what the author is saying as taught in the Word of God, then we need to be very open and willing to say, This needs to apply to my life. If we don't do that, think of the consequences. All right? If we don't deal with truth in an honest, truthful way, what are the consequences? And I'll leave you to ponder that a bit. Standing at the side porch window watching my parents stun bending, I'm sorry. I'm a paragraph or two early. I had this already, really. There we go. I'll start over. And by the way, this author is as flowery a writer as I have read in a long time, huh? But the word pictures, if you let them ding around in your head a little bit, Make some pretty interesting thinking, all right? I'll start over. Standing at the side porch window, watching my parents stunned bending, 
I wonder if my mother had held me in those natal moments of naming like she held my sister in death. In November light, I see my mother and father sitting on the back porch step, rocking her swaddled body in their arms. I press my face to the kitchen window, the cold glass, and watch them, watch their lips move, not with sleep prayers, but with pleas for waking, whole and miraculous. It does not come. The police do. They fill out reports. Blood seeps through the blanket. I see that too, even now. Memory's surge burns deep. That staining of her blood scorches me, but less than the blister of seeing her uncovered lying there. She had only toddled into the farm lane, wandering after a cat, and I can see the delivery truck driver sitting at the kitchen table, his head in his hands, and I remember how he sobbed that he had never seen her. But I still see her, and I cannot forget her body fragile and small, crushed by a truck's load in our farmyard, blood soaking into the thirsty, track-beaten earth. That's the moment the cosmos shifted, shattering any cupping of hands. I can still hear my mother's witnessing scream, see my father's eyes shot white through. My parents don't press charges, and they are farmers, and they keep trying to breathe, keep the body moving to keep the soul from atrophying. Mama cries when she strings out the laundry. She holds my youngest baby sister, a mere three weeks old, to the breast, and I can't imagine how a woman only weeks fragile from the birth of her fourth child witnesses the blood-on-graveled death of her third child. And she leaks milk for the babe, and she leaks grief for the buried daughter. Dad tells us a thousand times the story after dinner, how her eyes were water clear and without shores, how she held his neck when she hugged him, and held on for dear life. We accept the day of her death as an accident. But an act allowed by God? For years my sister flashes through my nights, her body crumpled on gravel. Sometimes in dreams I cradle her in the quilt Mama made for her, pale green, with the hand-embroidered Humpty Dumpty and little Bo Peep. And she's safely cocooned. I await her unfurling and the rebirth. Instead the earth opens wide, and swallows her up. At the grave's precipice, our feet scuff dirt, and chunks of the firmament fall away. A clod of dirt hits the casket, shatters, shatters over my little sister with the white blonde hair, the little sister who teased me and laughed, and the way she'd throw her head back and laugh, her milk-white cheeks dimpled right through with happiness, and I'd scoop close all her belly-giggling life. They lay her gravestone flat into the earth, a black granite slab engraved with no dates, only the five letters of her name, Amy. It means loved one, how she was. We had loved her. And with the laying of her gravestone, the closing up of her deathbed, so closed our lives, closed to any notion of grace. Really, when you bury a child or when you just simply get up every day and live life raw, you murmur the question soundlessly. No one hears. Can there be a good God? A God who graces with good gifts when a crib lies empty through long nights and bugs burrow through coffins? Where is God? Really? How can He be good when babies die and marriages implode and dreams blow away dust in the wind? 
Where is grace bestowed when cancer gnaws and loneliness aches and nameless places in us soundlessly die, break off without reason, he rode away? Where hides this joy of the Lord, this God who fills the earth with good things? And how do I fully live when life is full of hurt? How do I wake up to joy and grace and beauty and all that is the fullest life when I must stay numb to losses and crushed dreams and all that empties me out? My family, my dad, my mama, my brother and youngest sister, for years we all silently ask these questions. For years we come up empty and over the years we fill again with <coughs> estrangement. We live with our hands clenched tight. What God once gave us on a day in November slashed deep. Who risks again? Years later, I sit at one end of our brown plaid couch, my dad stretched out along its length. Warm from a day driving tractor, the sun beating and the wind blowing, he asked me to stroke his hair. I stroked from that colic of his and back, his hair ringed from the line of his cap. He closes his eyes. I ask questions that I never would if looking into them. Did you ever used to go to church like a long time ago, Dad? Two neighboring families take turns picking me up, a Bible in hand and a dress ironed straight for church services on Sunday morning. Dad works. Yeah, as a kid I went. Your grandmother had us do every Sunday after milking was done. That was important to her. I kept my eyes on his dark strands of hair running through my fingers. I knead out tangles but it's not important to you now? The words barely whispered, hang. He pushes up his plaid sleeve, shifts his head, his eyes still closed. Oh, I wait, hands combing, waiting for him to find the words for those feelings that don't fit neatly into stiff ties, the starch collars of sentences. No, I guess not anymore. When Amy died, I was done with all of that. Scenes blast. I close my eyes. Real. And if there really is anybody up there, they sure were asleep at the wheel that day. I don't say anything. The lump in my throat burns, this ember. I just stroke his hair. I try to soothe his pain. He finds more feelings. He stuffs them into words. Why let a beautiful little girl die such a sense, senseless, needless death? And she didn't just die. She was killed. That word twists his face. I want to hold him till it doesn't hurt. Make it all go away. His eyes remain closed, but he's shaking his head now, remembering all there was to say, uh, all there was to say no to that hideous November day that branded our lives. Dad says nothing more. That shake of the head says it all, expresses our closed hands, our bruised, shaking fists. No. No benevolent being. No grace, no meaning to it all. My dad, a good farmer who loved his daughter the way only eyes can rightly express, he rarely said all that, only sometimes, when he'd close his eyes and ask me to stroke away the day between the fingers. But these aren't things you need to say anyway. Like all beliefs, you simply live them. We did. No God. No God. Is this the toxic air of the world, this atmosphere we inhale burning into our lungs, this no God? No God? We won't take what you give. No God, 
<coughs> your plans are a gutted, bleeding mess, and I didn't sign up for this, and you really thought I'd go for this? No, God, this is ugly, and this is a mess, and can't you get anything right and just haul all this pain out of here, and I'll take it from here? Thanks. And God, thanks for nothing. Isn't this the human inheritance? The legacy of the garden? Deep thoughts. Scary thoughts. And so we need to ask the question, does God exist? Does God exist? Next week, I hope that we'll be able to ask the question, is God good? And you put it in context of what we just read, a family who's lost this little child, a family who through that death has become calloused and bitter, angry at God, angry at circumstances. A family that's really looking for answers, but they're finding none. As I look around the room this morning, I recognize that uh, it's not just a family in a farm in Ontario. But it comes right down to where we live today. Scott and Mary Ellen understand. They went to the hospital and delivered a stillborn child. And for a year and a half, they burned inside. Cindy and Ron had a similar experience. Little Jamie was born dead. It shattered their lives. Years later, they get a call and their son Josh has been found dead. 18 or 19 years old. And we could go around the room and we could ask each one of you to tell us stories. Probably not that painful. But stories that share heartache, that share pain. And from that can come two very, very important questions. Is there a God at all? Does He exist? And if He exists, how can He possibly be good? Have you ever asked that question? We, 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 you know, we're, we're uh, Christian people and we can't talk that way, we can't think that way, and yet we all know it's there. <clears throat> and what we have to do is understand that, that there are some answers out there, but we have to turn to the Word of God and try and find those answers. Not proofs, okay? Can I make that clear? We can't prove God's existence to anyone. But we can find confirmation for those who have the joy of being, and I want to use the word carefully, of being believers. Believers. Many people will say that we're fools to believe in a God. To believe in a God that allows things like we've just read or things like you've experienced to happen. 
still call him good. Can't prove it. And I'm not attempting to prove anything this morning. But what we want to do this morning, or at least attempt to do this morning, is to find out what the Bible has to say. We believe it's God's Word. We believe God has given this book to us so that we can know Him in a deep and personal way, so that we can understand who He is and how He works and why things happen the way they do. And if the Word of God can help us and confirm anything, then perhaps we can leave here a little bit more assured that yes, God does exist. And hopefully after next week you can say, and yes, that God, in spite of how it looks, that God is very good. Let's look first at what the Scripture has to say. In Psalms 14.1, it talks about this issue. Is there a God? And Psalm 14.1 says this, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. The fool says in his heart, There's no God. Ouch. That hurts. My dad has often said, There's a better way to read this. Instead of saying, There is no God, read it this way. The fool says in his heart, No, God. And that's what we read. That was the the segment that that we read in there. No, God, I don't want anything to do with you. No, I don't want what you bring my way. All you do is mess things up and make my life miserable. No, I don't want any of that. And yet the book that God has written to us says that when that happens, either that we say there is no God or we say no to God, we have become fools. Scary stuff. We can't prove. But we do believe. And there's much evidence to confirm our belief. Let me read from Romans 1 Verse 18 and following, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. first thing we read in that portion is that the truth is suppressed. People that I love, people that are my brothers and sisters, can I say this to you? We cannot afford to suppress truth. If it's truth, we need to embrace it. What does it mean to suppress? I think the idea is fairly simple to understand. It has to do to to compress or to bury or to push down. And so what the Word is saying here is that there is adequate knowledge of God. There's adequate 
uh, demonstration of God and who He is. And in order to come to the point where I either say, no God, or no God, I have to take what is clearly evident before me and I have to suppress it. I have to push it down. I have to sit on it. Thanks, Keith. Instead of allowing it to flourish and blossom in my life and let the results of that pour over me, I have to take it and stuff it. And we're good at that. We're good at that. But don't stuff truth. The truth is suppressed. On the other hand, God has made it plain to the believing heart. His invisible qualities are seen in what He has created. We've had opportunity in the last several weeks to watch those videos uh, from uh, Louis Giglio. First, uh, the first one called Indescribable and the second one called How Great Is Our God. And we've had a, an introduction to the vastness of space and to the, the microscopic world of the DNA molecule. And we've gone from, from the ridiculously large to the in, incredibly small. And in every step of the journey, we've seen a God who creates. We've seen the hand of a maker who is good. All right? In other words, <clears throat> he is abundantly knowable. If I don't know him as he really is, it's not his fault. Okay? If I don't understand the deep things of God and I'm able to say, God is real, God exists and God is good, it's not God's fault. The problem lies within. The problem lies with me. And I become a fool. Harsh language. But we can't suppress the truth. There's no excuse for not knowing Him. Only condemnation. And so as a congregation, we need to challenge one another. We need to, we need to work with one another. And help each other understand that, that this is truth. That the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God has made it plain. The creation of the, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, those things that apparently can't be seen, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from that which has been made so that people are without excuse. Isaiah says it this way, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. We know He exists. He's the great cause of all creation. We understand some of that. Let's look first at and a little bit of the design. Our experience tells us that things that show design must have a designer. Okay? The uh, word I do it with mine. It's here somewhere. There it is. 
The cell phone? Got to be a designer for this thing, right? I can't figure it out, but somebody did. Somebody knows how this thing works because they put it together. They made it. No idiot would pick this thing up and say, well, that, that was a neat little happenstance. I, I just... I just, No, we that, that boggles our imagination. We can't go there. Stephen Sharnock said it a long time ago, and I'm going to quote Mr. Sharnock a lot today. He says, The understanding cannot conceive a thing to have made itself. That is against all reason. And yet, to say... There is no God, there is no creator, there is no design in creation is to do exactly that. To conceive of a thing making itself. And Sharnik says that's against all reason. Unreasonable. Only a fool would go there. Now you say, Lev, you're, you're being awful hard on those people who don't believe in God. No, I'm not. The Bible is stating those facts and I'm restating them. I'm stating them in such a way so that those of you who are believers can know that you're on the right track. It's the unbeliever who is headed for folly. It's the believer who needs to have his convictions reaffirmed and his understanding helped. And so there's great design. <clears throat> there's great design in all of nature. And we only have to look at it in detail and begin to understand it and, and, and our mouths hang open at someone who could design so cleverly. I remember the first time I, I uh, really realized how incredible water was. And I've marveled at it many times since. Water, we take it so for granted and yet it's just miraculously put together. The design of it is awesome. I won't go into great detail, but... Most substances, when they cool, what happens? They contract. They shrink. Water shrinks, 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 shrinks until 4 degrees centigrade. And then what happens? It begins to expand. So that when it gets to 0 centigrade, or we call it 32 Fahrenheit, when it gets to freezing, it actually has grown a bit. And the fact that it can be liquid and then freeze up and become solid and then heat it up, and increase the speed of those molecules and it becomes a gas. And, and it's all around us and it's everywhere and it's, it's part of who we are. And what incredible stuff. <clears throat> you ever, as you're washing dishes, maybe nobody washes dishes anymore, but I'm always impressed that you put that plate into the soap suds and, and let it sit there for a while and you pull it out and it's clean. What happened? Water is an incredible solvent. It can dissolve those materials that are stuck to the plate. How in the world does it do that? And on and on and on it goes. And that's just one little molecule. That's just water. The design is incredible. And you know what I think is cool? I, I like to make stuff. But I have yet to make something that came out exactly the way I wanted it to be. Any of you have that problem? Some of you are um, computer programmers. Some of you are artists, you know, and, and you, you start designing something and you think, this is great, this is going to be good. And, and you try and run it and boop, there's a glitch in it. Matthew, has that ever happened to your programming? Never does. <laughs> awesome. Hire that guy. 
And so what do you do? You go back and you tweak this and you change that and you struggle. Oh, 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 I see the problem. And you fix it. When God designed water and then created it, how many times did He have to re-tweak it in order to get it right? Absolutely perfect with the word of His power. That, that goes beyond imagination. Have I proven anything this morning? Absolutely not. But if you're a believer in God, you can say, thank you, designer. Thank you that you don't have to redo and reshape and remake and retweak. It's right the first time when you do it. The design was incredible. How about the harmony? Isn't this interesting? That all the things that we can touch are made up of the same elements. What are there, about 140-some elements now? There are a bunch of man-made ones lately. Am I in the ballpark there? Okay. And if you break everything down to its component parts, you can find that everything is made out of those same elements. There's incredible harmony there. The chemist spends his life studying those things. And you, you, know, you, you, you turn to that person and you say, what a waste of time. You know, I don't know what your view of chemistry was. But that person has, has given themselves to understanding the harmony, the blending of all those elements together to make molecules and then to make substance. But you know a little bit about those molecules. You know a little bit about those atoms that make up the molecules. And, and what you have to realize is that you are sitting on more empty space than you are anything solid. And yet you came in and you plopped yourself down and you never thought about it. But there's far more empty space in that chair than there is solid material. Wow! But there's a blend, there's harmony. All of the universe runs in perfection. I'm still waiting for someone to explain gravity to me. I mean, I get magnetism. I can handle that. Wood things don't get attracted to a magnet. Metal things do. Okay? And human beings don't get attracted to a magnet, so that's not what gravity is like. And I try to picture in my mind, what in the world is gravity? And I don't know, and nobody else can tell me. But it works. And it works to perfection. And what keeps the world turning. I used to, I used to do tops and, and I, I'd spin those things and they'd go for a while, but what would eventually happen? <laughs> Why not the world? Why not this globe that we live on? But I got up yesterday and, and wow, there's the sun. And, and, and by the time six o'clock or so rolled around, the sun was gone. The earth just kept spinning. <clears throat> and I got up this morning and there it was again. And we don't even think about it, but there's harmony. There's incredible harmony. How about the cycles of life? The CO2O2 cycle. We won't go into it. But you know what it's like. You breathe out carbon dioxide. The tree that's in your front yard says, oh, good. And he sucks in that carbon dioxide through a whole process. And you notice photosynthesis is up there. Through that whole process, the tree gives off a, a shot of oxygen. So you walk outside and you go... <clears throat> and your, your lungs are filled again with oxygen, and you breathe out, and, and it just keeps going and going and going. A fabulous cycle. How in the world? There's harmony there. The water cycle. 
It rains in Dubuque and the water runs down the Mississippi and it runs into the ocean, into the Gulf of Mexico. And, and there it's uh, evaporated and it moves and it spreads around the world and the next thing you know it rains again. Or I don't know if it will ever happen, but sometimes it snows. And um, Scott is saying, please send me some snow. The water cycle. And it keeps going. It's perfect. Harmony. Even even decomposition. Isn't that cool? You ever take a walk in the woods and see a rotting log and realize that if you wait around long enough, that's going to turn into a plant that maybe a deer will come along and chew on and take sustenance from and then the great white hunter will shoot that deer and, and have a meal and life will be sustained. And Wow, what a cycle. just keeps happening. Incredible stuff. Well, Psalm 139.14, David says it this way, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Haven't proved a thing. But to the believing heart, we're able to say with David, your works, all these cycles, all the universe, all that you do, it's wonderful. I know that full well. And I'm depending on that. And I can believe in a God who does things like that. And then there's preservation. There is need of the same power and action to preserve a thing as there was at first to make it. Now, when you read Sharnak, you kind of go, let's see, I better read that one over again. Uh, you, you think Anne uh, Voskamp is flowery. Sharnak is just unbelievable. But anyway, Psalms 104 says it this way. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. God, we depend on you to preserve us. We depend on your goodness to bring the rain and to bring the sunshine and so on. It goes on and on. So you've got the design, you've got the harmony, you've got the preservation. All of those things speak to us of a God, a good God, who's in control of the universe. We won't go here long, but the human body. Step by step, what about that heart of yours? Started pumping about, what is it, about 28 days after conception? Does that sound right? Keeps pumping for my dad now, 97 years later, still shooting that blood around his body. That's a neat little tool. I bought some, <clears throat> some, some nice tools, but I loan them to Scott and they're <clears throat> to come like all burned out. But anyway, <laughs> tools don't last forever. I borrow some of his too. <laughs> tools burn out. What about that heart? Incredible piece of, of, of machinery. Pumping, pumping, pumping. And none of you got up this morning and said, whoo, whoo, keep her going there, buddy. No, don't even think about it. It just happens. How does it happen? The hand of God is on you. The mouth. <laughs> what an incredible instrument. The brain, the eye, the ear. You stopped and thought about those things? You mamas holding these little babies. Can you begin to fathom 
what went into shaping that little creature so that when they, when they, they were uh, delivered from your body into the air that they were able to, to function and eventually to eat and to walk and to grow. and uh, Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Should never happen and yet it does. I was thinking about the ear for a minute. That little child's ear. In the womb, that child can hear mom's voice. In the womb, that child can figure out who its protector is. And that child responds when it becomes air breathing. That child responds to that voice because his ear was able to detect that. After a few years, a few months really of life, that child is able to stand erect and wobble around a little bit, but with a little bit of practice and sometimes a little bit of help, it can take a step and another step. And within a couple years, it can run. How in the world does that happen? It happens because God put a little level inside our ear that helps us keep upright. Isn't that incredible? Three little canals that are in different directions. And they have liquid inside of them. And if you tip your head like this, the liquid moves a little bit and the level gets out of, the bubble, you know, gets out of balance and it says, whoops, things are not quite the way. Yeah, there you go, good. And no matter which way you tip, the level works. All in your ear. Unbelievable. You know, it isn't unbelievable. It's miraculous. And we have to thank God for it. Have we proven anything? Have we proven the existence of God? Absolutely not. But to the believing heart, we say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Not the least part of the body is made in vain. The hairs of the head have their use as well as are an ornament. The whole symmetry of the body is a ravishing object. Every member hath a signature and mark of God and His wisdom. So whether it be your fingernails or your ear or the hair on your head, all of it has a signature and mark of God and His wisdom. Stephen Charnock. And then there's prophecy. Prophecy fulfilled. Who but God <clears throat> could predict the future and then bring it to pass? Amazing. Cyrus, the king uh, of uh, Media Persia, I believe it was, was predicted, his life and his reign was predicted several hundred years before he existed. That power which foretells things beyond the reach of the wit of man and orders all causes to bring about those predictions must be an infinite power. The same that made the world sustains it and governs all things in it according to his pleasure and to bring about his own ends and this being is God. Have we proved that God exists? Not a bit. Have we established and helped the believing heart take refuge and comfort in the fact that our God does exist? Wisdom is the band of human societies, the glory of man. Folly is the disturber of families the disturber of cities, the disturber of nations, the disgrace of human nature. 
So what will I follow? Will I follow wisdom or will I follow folly? Folly is the disturber of families, cities, nations, the grace of human nature. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. What do we say? Let's pray. Father, things too deep for us, things bigger than we, things beyond our scope, those are the things uh, of who you are. And yet in your goodness, your grace, you've opened up our understanding and give us, given us opportunity to know with confidence that you do exist, that you are there, that you are the great designer, the great conductor of harmonious symphonies, the preserver and sustainer of life, the one who knows the future from the beginning, knows the end, the one who in every way is a good and marvelous God. We can know you. We can appreciate you. We can pause and say thank you. And I pray, God, that you'll help us to do that individually, as a church, in every way to uh, to grow to that place of thanksgiving, that place of worship and praise, and that your name would be honored and glorified. Help us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.